Hi, this is Peter Bergman, and it's Radio Free Oz, our podcast daily, this for January 5th, 2012. When I studied with the Rinzai master Joshu Sasaki, Mr. Zen, one thing he taught me was happy, unhappy, same thing, but you can prefer to be happy. So I prefer to be happy with the results of the Iowa caucus. I mean, I think it's good news for Obama. Don't get me wrong. and I'm sure you, you have from time to time. Uh, I don't believe the election of Obama is the grand solution, but it sure is a step in the right direction. And what I see coming out of Iowa certainly convinces me that he has a much better chance now than he did three days ago when this whole thing was grinding to its ultimate conclusion. Now, of course, my happiness is tempered by the fact that the United States of America, the superpower, the only nation with a blue water navy that owns space, that consumes 25% of our resources, can throw up from one of its two major parties, and I think throw up is the proper transitive verb here, such a group of craven second raters. I mean, one of them is going to get the nomination or somebody else is a dark horse in the convention and they're going to run, which gives them a much better chance of becoming president of the United States than just about anybody else except Barack the Great, not me. Okay, Robert Kramer, who's a political activist and one hell of a pundit, wants to take a look at just what this is all about. He says to maximize their odds of reclaiming their hold on the White House, the Republican establishment believes they need two things, to nominate Mitt Romney and to effectively end the Republican nomination process as soon as possible. Last night's results from Iowa lower the odds they will get either. In fact, what we saw in Iowa last night was the Republican base gagging on the presidential candidate the Republican establishment is trying desperately to cram down their throats. Romney and the Republican super PACs, of which he says he has no direct knowledge, uh-huh, spent millions of dollars trying to convince Republican caucus goers that Romney should carry the Republican banner next fall. But in the end, 75% said no. MSNBC's Chris Matthews, my quite like, went so far as to argue that Romney is being rejected by the Republican electorate the way a body rejects foreign tissue. So the uh, GOP immune system has built up enough antibodies to keep him at 25%. Here are the reasons why the IR results, according to Kramer, are such bad news for the Republicans. Well, sometimes when a candidate has a hard time winning the support of his base, the reasons actually make him more electable in a general election. That's not true of the Mitster. The major factors weighing on his candidacy are just as toxic with persuadable general election voters as they were with voters in the GOP primaries. He is digging himself one great big hole. In interviews and focus groups, anti-Romney voters use words like phony, fake, robotic, cold, they think Romney has no core principles, that he will say anything to be elected, that he's a flip-flopper. And it doesn't help, even with the rank-and-file Republicans, that Romney is the poster boy for the 1%. He is the cold, calculating guy who made his fortune dismantling companies and laying off workers. Uh-huh. He is a guy whose painted-on smile is set in concrete as he hands you your pink slip. Mitt Romney is about as empathetic as a rock. The fact that one anti-Romney contender consolidated enough votes to fight him to a virtual tie in Iowa was a big blow to Romney's chances for a quick victory. And it was Rick Santorum. 
His forces had hoped to keep his opposition divided and appear as the obvious frontrunner, even with 25% of the votes. Instead, the Ricky comes out of Iowa with the Big Mo. If Santorum's numbers materially improve from his pre-Iowa single digits, as they most certainly will, he will continue to carry that momentum into South Carolina, where he could win handily. That's particularly true if Perry officially drops out, which he isn't, and Bachman leaves, which she has. Now, Gingrich has as much announced last night that he would be playing blocking back for Santorum. He will attack Romney viciously in the coming debates while having nothing bad to say about his apparent rival for the anti-Romney mantle. A wounded Gingrich could be a great deal more dangerous to GOP prospects than frontrunner Gingrich was a few weeks ago. To say that he is mercurial, I think, insults thermometers. This man also has no morals. He'll do anything to stay in the press and make his point. Much of Romney's pitch to voters has been premised on his electability and inevitability. At the very least, the inevitability argument is now goners. The new Republican delegate selection rules makes it more likely that the nomination process will drag on for some time. What a drag. Many states that used to have winner-take-all primaries now allocate delegates in proportion to the percentage of each candidate's votes. If Romney continues to top out at 25 to 30 percent, which nationally seems to be his ceiling, it's hard for him to wrap up the nomination in the near future. From the Republican point of view, nothing good can come from a long, drawn-out nominating process. When I look at the candidates, nothing good can come from the entire process. His opponents will continue to pound Romney for being a phony flip-flopper, a charge that will devastate him in a general election. Romney will continue to tack to the right to compete for base voters. Boy, is he. That will lead to more and more positions that disqualify him with big chunks of the electorate, like his recent statement that he would veto the DREAM Act. What was he thinking? The DREAM Act is an iconic issue with Hispanics. According to a recent Pew poll, 91% of Hispanic voters support the DREAM Act and 51% consider immigration the most important issue facing their community. Well, Mitty, there goes Colorado, New Mexico, and Nevada, and perhaps Arizona. And if Obama picks up those three states, Colorado, New Mexico, and Nevada, and keeps the blue states that Kerry carried, he's in. One thing is for sure, says Kramer, it's not time to take down the GOP big top. This show will be in town for some time to come. While we're going after the Midster, I want to quote Paul Begala, one of the pundits and inner big guys of the Democratic Party. Here's what he says. I would never have guessed Rick Santorum would be so happy about two men being tied up together. <laughs> The former senator tangled with Romney atop the Iowa caucuses by following the Frank Finkel strategy. Finkel was the only man in George Custer's sea company to survive the Battle of Little Bighorn. He survived not because he was especially crafty or brave, it was just that his horse couldn't get him to the battle on time. Following the Finkel strategy, Santorum avoided the media crossfire, arriving at the battle too late to be killed. But fear not, there are many battles to come. So, while the winner of Iowa in terms of expectations is Santorum, the story is the man he basically tied, Mitt Romney. Not to put too fine a point on it, but when you can't beat the man-on-dog guy who lost his home state by 18%, you stink. You really stink. Hi, this is Willard Romney, but you can call me Mitt because it tests better. And welcome to Romney's Empty Suit Store. 
Nothing covers an emperor who has no clothes like a Romney empty suit. Cut out of whole cloth, there's plenty of room in the rear for backpedaling, and every Romney empty suit is stench guarded and teflonized, so that no matter how many times you flip-flop or stretch the truth, you come up wrinkle-free, smelling like a rose. Need a cravat? I have a fine selection of neckwear that will tie you to Wall Street, K Street, or Easy Street. Take your choice. And of course, shoes make the man. So step into a pair of Romley Triangulators. Their self-adjusting hydraulic heels keep your head above water when you're in out of your depth. So visit me at Romney's Empty Suit Store, running continuously since 2006. And if you know the secret handshake, you're welcome to shop our exclusive selection of Mormon underwear in the back. So Romney and Santorum came in within eight votes of each other at about 25% each. And at 20% right on their tail is the kooky old curmudgeon, Mr. Totalitarian himself, the secret lover of Ayn Rand, Dr. Ron Paul. Michelle Goldberg has a very interesting look at this man and why he is so favored amongst the radical evangelical community. That's right. A CNN poll found that Paul was second only to Rick Santorum in evangelical support with 18%. Drew Ivers, Paul, Iowa chair, says this is a reflection of the Christian right moving toward Ron Paul. The bandwagon, so to speak, has been rolling. He got on it. What a ride. The Christian bandwagon. Paul's support among the country's most committed theocrats is deep and longstanding, something that's poorly understood among those who simply see him as a libertarian. That's why it wasn't surprising when the Paul campaign touted the endorsement of Phil Kaiser, a Nebraska pastor with an Iowa following who calls for the execution of homosexuals. The execution of homosexuals. You heard me right. To understand Paul's religious right support, it's necessary to wade a bit into the theological weeds. Most American evangelicals are premillennial dispensationalists. They believe that God has a special plan for the nation of Israel, which will play a key role in the end of days and the return of Christ. Armageddon, the tribulation, the rapture, all of that. Okay, we know about that. The left behind, all of that kookism. But there's another more radical side here. A smaller segment of evangelicals hews to what's called Reformed or Covenant theology, which, as Deese explains, tends to teach that in this day the church is what Israel was in the Old Testament. In other words, Christians are the new chosen people. Covenant theologians, it's important to stress, aren't more liberal than mainstream evangelicals. In fact, they're often much further to the right. While dispensationalists believe that Christ will return imminently and establish a biblical reign on earth, covenant theologians tend to believe it's man's job to create Christ's kingdom before he comes back. Hey, Jesus, look what we built! The most radical faction of covenant theology is called Christian Reconstructionalism, a movement founded by R.J. Rushdoony member of the Funny Names Club of America, that seeks to turn the book of Leviticus into law, imposing the death penalty for gay people, blasphemers, unchaste women, and myriad other sinners. Yoy, yoy, yoy. Gary North, Rush Dooney's son-in-law and a key theorist of Christian Reconstructionism, wrote of the need to smooth the transition to Christian political leadership. Christians must begin to organize politically within the present party structure, and they must begin to infiltrate the existing political order. Sig freaking Heil. 
Ron Paul has long been a favorite politician of Christian Reconstructionists. Huh? North was a Paul staffer during the Texas congressman's first term and has called him the Mahatma of self-government. Among Reconstructionists, he says, there's a desire for a theocracy, but it has to come from the bottom up not from the top down. See, Mr. Paul is the great tear apart the federal government, so if everything devolves to the states, the Christian Reconstructionists can bring the book of Leviticus back into the legislature, the courthouse, and your bedroom. Reconstructionists take biblical morality far beyond traditional social issues. They believe that the Bible contains specific instructions on every aspect of life, including monetary policy, something they place great emphasis on. Many argue that there's a biblical mandate for a gold standard. Oh, is that why Glenn Beck is selling all that phony gold? I think Paul was involved with it somehow, too. I'll have to check it out. If Reconstructionism remains marginal, the broader movement of covenant theology is growing. The emerging generation does not trust the traditional religious right, says North. Paul has been able to create one of the strangest coalitions in American political history, bringing together libertarian hipsters with those who want to subject the sexually unpure to Taliban-style public stoning. Stoning, by the way, is the Reconstructionist's preferred method of execution because it is both biblical and fiscally responsible, rocks being, in North's words, cheap, plentiful, and convenient. Can Ayn Rand meets John Calvin win? We and Mitt Romney will have to wait and see. It's going to be a long and weird nomination process, but Radio Friaz will be with you the entire time, plus bringing you other, in a sense, more important things from this great big garden we live in. See you tomorrow, and don't forget to go up to Radio Friaz. You'll see a whole new... Homepage, and you can subscribe and become a Charter Ozoneer. See you tomorrow.